Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast, where each week I'm joined by some of the most renowned faces in the entertainment industry, young sports field, corporate leaders, and inspirational thought leaders around the world sharing their own truths and personal journeys. Today, we have none other than Nicholas Boyer. Nicholas is an American rugby union player who pays a scrum half for the Houston Sabercats of Major League Rugby and the United States men's national team. He's also represented the United States with the USA selects and multiple age grade sides. In Rugby Sevens, he's also played for the United States men's national team and the USA Falcons. He was a member of the San Diego Legion team that completed in Major League Rugby's inaugural 2018 season. He made his debut for the Legion in April 22nd of 2018. And the reason why I mentioned that is because this is where I met him over three years ago now. So uh, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, Ben. It's great to, have, great to be back on. Yeah, it's uh, three years. What's a lot's been happening, mate? COVID, pandemics, and <laughs> so here. long hair. You look like Thor. For anybody who's going to tune into the podcast, I'll put the video up so you can see this guy. <laughs> have you thought about doing? Um, have you moved? Thought about doing movies, mate? It could be a stunt double for uh, Chris Hemsworth in that. <laughs> no, I think I think rugby is better. I think rugby pays more, so I stick with that. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I, I haven't really. I'm not big for the, for the camera, but. Um, yeah, it's been nice to walk around and have people say, oh, you know, are you Chris Hemsworth? It's like, no, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, it's not, it's not dumb. You know, I tend to get, I get uh, Simon Pegg, if you know who Simon Pegg is. Sean, is it, is it, Sean of the Dead and all the Mission Impossible. Oh, that guy, yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, so I get him all the time, mate. But uh, uh, good, okay. Yeah, well, it's been three years. Um, so, as I said, I first met you three years ago through Paddy Ryan and Sam Wuching, and and you guys got straight behind it. You didn't know me, you didn't know anything about the IPC, and I sent you voice notes, and you got straight behind it. So I suppose, for me, when somebody gets behind something and looks into it, there's a story behind it. So I just wondered whether you could take our audience Prior to talking about the mental health and how that's touched your life in the past, just a little bit about your journey, like how you got into the sports and, uh, yeah, the process through all that. Yeah, yeah. It's a, well, I guess I got to think back a little bit there. It's been a while. I've been playing rugby now for over half my life. Um, but I think looking back on it, um, it was always competitive. I always loved sports and the team aspect of things. Um, I love the physical nature of it, too. Again, it kind of gets you out of your head and into, into real life. Um, rugby specifically, it's not a very popular sport in, in the U.S. or it's getting much more popular now. But when I was coming up, it wasn't like a, a mainstream sport. And so I did baseball, basketball, soccer, all the sports. Um, but rugby, I got into that because my parents, um, my dad actually still plays refs and coaches. So he's like a rugby nut. Um, and he met my mom in a rugby tournament. She had played a bit as well. Um, she, she knows the game. So. Um, I was kind of born and bred into it. And just when I got my chance to play, I just fell in love with the, the physicality of it, but also the, the intellectual piece, the kind of kind of moving chess, chess matches that is rugby. Um, and I think tying it back into the mental health space, I think one thing it really helped me with was coming up, I was a, 
always one of the better athletes in my class, bigger kids, pretty confident until about fourth, fifth grade. Everyone else grew and I stayed small. Um, and for me, it just, that was, that was hard on my, on my confidence for three, four years. Um, I just didn't grow and, and I couldn't really find a niche, niche for myself. Um, but I think rugby allowed me to, to be good at something when elsewhere in life, I wasn't the best like I used to be. Um, so it kind of gave me an identity and a purpose. And I think um, we probably talk more about that, but um, it helped me out in the short term to get over a lot of, a lot of stress and anxiety and challenges. But as I grew and as I started talking with guys like Psalm and guys like Patty and started developing my life, I realized there's more to, to life than just chasing the ball around. And, you know, you shouldn't be dejected after a loss or, you know, way too high after a win. You should kind of take things in, in, more in stride and, and seek for a more balanced lifestyle. So I guess, does that answer your question about what role the sports played in my life and kind of how it ties into mental health? Yeah, I mean, like ju- just seeing someone's journey, because as you know, with IPC, it's about uncovering that mask. It's about the person behind the profession. Often yeah. we see at times people think, looking at you now, this big strapping guy looks like Thor, plays rugby. Mm. We don't know the, the 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 part of that behind it or what you've gone through. So I suppose that transition in... You said there you you touched anxiety. Um, how deep did it go for? Wh- what kind of age was you when you was you was dealing with this? You mentioned school. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I forget for international listeners. <laughs> fourth grade is um, about ten or eleven years old. Yep. Um, and really through through my formative years, high school, I was not very comfortable with myself. College, I I, I got more into you know I was into myself a bit but I still had some of that residual lack of confidence um yeah so that, that's kind of the time frame yeah so I mean you're at school you you found an outlet which was rugby as I say when we look at people who play sports they're in the movies they're all this their life looks perfect they look highlight reels how right. deep did you go back then and was that something that you had to predominantly keep working at or because you was a guy and I always touch on this with guys like when I went through my body dysmorphia I kept it quiet for so long because I was like I can control this I don't need to tell anybody like yeah. how did you go with all that um sorry can you so how did I how do I handle the, the, the stress of rugby or, or no as in like you're, you're 10 years old you're going through that did, did you openly speak about it? Did you let your parents know that you were struggling? Oh, no, no. I think I think at that point in my life, it was kind of like, you know, I, I had older siblings and I was always looking up to my brother and saying, he's got it all together. He's doing yeah. great in school, great athlete, X, Y, Z. You know, from my perspective, that's how it seemed. He obviously had his own demons to deal with. Um, but, yeah, I just kind of internalized it and said, you know, look, I'm not good enough now. Um, I'm going to get better. And in the future, I'll be better. And I think that was, for me, that was a big driving force behind a lot of my training, a lot of my hard work. Um, and the reason why, you know, rugby is a pretty physically brutal sport and it, it hurts. I think some of the reason why I was able to go through a lot of the pain was because, you know, it was something more painful if I didn't do it, um, yeah. at least for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I really just internalized it. And I, th- I think the key piece was that I'm not good enough now. I will be good enough in the future. And now I'm kind of, I'm here, I'm good enough, quote unquote, but I still have that mindset of I'm not good enough. So I'm working on, um, you know, unraveling that a bit and putting that to positive use in my life. Isn't it funny how we do that to ourselves? We don't like, as I say, I'll, I'll bring you back to, we look at someone like yourself who's achieved so much that yeah, behind the scenes, 
we all internalize things and don't think we're good enough. Like it's yeah. just, it, it fathoms me and everybody I've talked to on this campaign, when they come out with that, like we're all on this journey and we're all constantly evolving, but yet we still have the same problems. So it doesn't matter how much fame you have, how much money you have, there's something. As you, as you have grown, if you were to look back on that 10 year old self and you are a huge advocate for mental health and speaking out now, what advice would you give to your, your younger self? I think, I think definitely talking about it would have been good. Um, maybe not necessarily just with my parents, but with my friends, uh, with my siblings, you know, just say, hey, look, and, you know, this is how I'm feeling. This is what you're seeing. You kind of get more of a balanced perspective. There's, I think one thing I've realized, and I think you touched on it there, is no matter how it looks on the outside of someone's life, they could be, you know, they could have everything that you want, and they could seem like they're doing great, but it's the story inside your head that really matters. Um, as far as I can tell, it's, it's what you're telling yourself. It's how you view yourself. Um, and it's really hard to correct that just in your own head. Uh, you know, even if you start writing things down and journaling, it's still pretty hard to correct that. Um, so it's really useful just to find someone you trust, someone who sees you daily and who can give you, you know, honest, balanced feedback and say, hey, look, you know, this is kind of how I'm feeling. Um, you don't even need to ask the question. They can just they can just listen to you and they'll probably give you a pretty good you know, sense of reality of, of what you're actually doing, where you can improve. Because, you know, I do think, I go back to my 10-year-old self, I'd say, don't lose that edge. Um, I'm really grateful for pushing through the hard moments. I think it got me, you know, past some pitfalls. So don't lose the edge of wanting to be better, but at the same time, be okay with who you are in the moment. That makes sense. Like, don't beat yourself down. Don't miss out on life because you don't think you're there yet. Um, so, yeah, I'd say share it, find reality from people you trust, and then keep pushing. Was there a moment for you, though, where you knew you needed to speak to somebody? Or did um, you through yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of cliche, but I think a big stigma in the, the male athlete and just the male world, world in general is you don't need to talk about your feelings. You don't need to talk about what's going on in your head. It's just go out and achieve, achieve, achieve. Um, and again, like I said, I think part of that is valid. You want to, it's better to focus on external targets that align with your internal values. I think that's a better way to go about things. Um, at least in my experience, I find that if you try and get too abstract with things, you kind of get lost in your own head. Um, so I, I do like the achievement piece, but I think kind of like I was saying earlier, um, talking about who you are and what you want to achieve is really important so you can have an accurate view of, of where you're going in life. Um, so thinking back to it, I think, you know, high school, I probably should have, I should have reached out more, but I didn't. But then when I was in college, I had access to some, uh, some student athlete counselors. And that was my first real experience with going to somebody who was a mental health professional. Um, so my last, my last year there, I really focused on, you know, I had some bad habits and wanted to clean up and I really focused on, Hey, let's just make these past six months the best I can. Um, see where I can go with it. See if I can, you know, do X, Y, and Z with rugby, with school, with everything in my life. Um, and as part of that, you know, I, I decided to go find somebody to help me with my, my thought process. Um, and that was my first real experience with, with, you know, getting some feedback and it was massively helpful. I, you know, I regret to say I didn't keep it going consistently. It was kind of, you know, I go, go up for a bit and then I just kind of go off on my own and then I go back up and then off on my own. Um, but overall, it's a very positive trend. And I, I recommend if anyone's in the same boat, reach out sooner rather than later and try and try and get some good feedback. Yeah. Question for you, because <clears throat> I noticed with the UK and Australia, 
still to this day, a lot of people don't talk openly if they're seeing a psychologist or a counsellor. Whereas the US, every time I come to the US, it's almost like I'm going to see my psychologist or I'm going to see my counsellor. Like it's an everyday conversation, which is amazing. Where has that come from? Was that something like when you started, you would speak to your college friends and as you got older, just, yeah, I'm going to see my therapist today. And it's just like a secondary thing in your everyday conversation because still we're behind in that respect. Really? That's not, that's pretty interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I hadn't thought about that. I guess maybe the U S just accepts that, you know, we've got more of an emotional dumpster fire and we're happy with everyone seeing it. It's like, yeah, so we, we're, we're a great country, but we also have our own problems. So um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a, a more open culture. I think, I think just people in the U S kind of what you see is what you get. Less subtle. You know, I, I did find when I was in the UK, everything's very subtle, including your humor. I think people in the US are very direct, very blunt. Yeah. And that's just over from that. Just, you know, hey, what you see is what you get. Here I am. Here's my therapist. Here's my Instagram account. <laughs> so did you get, when, when you went to the UK, so the difference between the US and that, you, US that I noticed are very direct with it. The UK are very sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Did you get the humor when you was there? Yeah, it took me yeah. a bit. <laughs> one thing that, that threw me for a loop was you guys say you are right or are you okay is like a hello yeah and i was thinking i was like like i don't know your hair's on fire i was like yeah I'm fine what's going on yeah. um, but that took me a little bit of time to, to to get used to but the humor itself was pretty good I, I actually enjoyed that i think it's um it's much more stimulating long term i really enjoyed that you know yeah. really good band for the rugby boys it's um it, it it can be dry it can be very sarcastic if people don't get it they find it rude mm-hmm. <laughs> when i first came to australia and i was talking to people and then they'd be like glenn i'd be like what and they'd be like whoa calm down i'd be like what do you want and they'd be like well it's pardon i'm like in what context would you say pardon if you said to me glenn and i turn around and say pardon that doesn't yeah. work for- <laughs> yeah anyway they found it australia found it quite rude initially and yeah it's not what, like you're so, you're so to the point, but I love that about the US. So yeah. you moved forward, you transitioned obviously, and then your rugby career started and then you're transitioning, I suppose, into something where all eyes are on you. Hmm. So you're not only, you've dealt with this as you've gone past. Did you notice as you were seeing your counsellor during those colleges and everything, that, that kind of diminished before your career started or were you carrying that along? Because why I want to mention that is because People think sometimes I've seen a counsellor, it's over. But it isn't it ever-evolving process, isn't it, that we still have to work on all the time? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd say it was a good foundation, but I think as you grow, the nature of your problems grow as well. I think pretty deep-seated. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's consistently I'm a work in progress. I don't think I'm ever going to achieve that, that final goal, right? But I think the, the joy is in the journey. And I don't think I overall grow the need for somebody – honest who I can talk to um doesn't have to be a mental health professional but for right now I find that to be the most useful um best place for feedback so yeah yeah it, it wasn't like a oh I've, I've reached I've reached it I fixed the problem I'm done it's kind of like a, and I think maybe that's that's a, that's a bit of an issue with myself and a few of my friends in the past like when we're looking to to deal with these uncomfortable emotions or these these issues we have in our life sometimes we think all right if only I just do this then I'll never have to deal with it again I mean, you do the good thing, right? And it helps, but then it doesn't completely eliminate it. And that that uncomfortable feeling comes up again. And you kind of say, ah, screw it all. And why am I even doing this? And you kind of go away from the thing that helped. 
Um, that's for me, that's a really bad mindset. It's kind of scorched earth. It's like, just because there's still some, some lingering negative emotion or problem, whatever it is in your life, doesn't mean you should stop doing the thing that's, the thing that's making it better. Um, so that's kind of been my experience. Like, you know, it's a work in progress, continual, uh, continual growth, constant improvement. Yeah. And now you use your platform, like opportunities to speak about mental health advocacy. Um, have you noticed a difference within the, the sporting world that it's a lot more open, say from when you first started and more boys in the, the locker room, sometimes if they are struggling, they'll, they'll talk amongst each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's less stigmatized for sure. In fact, we just finished up, um, May was the mental health awareness month for MLR. And I think yep. we just partnered with, it's called Loose Heads, which is a rugby specific mental health organization. Um, so I think it's just league wide across the entire sport, even. I think it's more, um, there's, there's more awareness of the problem. And I think, whereas before guys would think, oh, you know, like, I don't want to share that. That's kind of weird. Now, now guys are comfortable pulling a, a side of their good mate and going for a coffee and saying, hey, look, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm dealing with. So for, for me in the past three, four years of playing this league, I've seen a massive shift and it's been really positive overall. Nice. So when, when it comes, what I wanted to bring up is, so I always say, and I think about when I speak to people in terms of who this helps and it helps everyone in the general, but for your career and how you've gone, there's obviously been, it hasn't been like this trajectory of just consistent success and growing and growing, growing. So I always picture um, a coach in a locker room with the school kids and, and some of them are dealing emotionally. They might have anxiety. They might be not feeling good enough and stuff like that. Do you have a word for any of those aspiring athletes? Because as we often see as well, there are some athletes that, that, that give 110% for that career as in any career. And then if something doesn't pan out or they get dropped, they associate that that's their identity. Right. So have you got any, any from your own experience, of course, like just, just words of wisdom, if there's any kids out there that happen to come across the podcast and just know, just keep on going. It's not your identity. And yeah, well, that's, that's a really, really good question. Honestly, I think that's probably one of the most important things uh, young athletes can think about at this point is, is, you know, what do I identify with? Who am I? Is it my performance in the field? Is it my selection to a certain team? Is it a championship? Um, and I've, as you mentioned, I've had those moments where you don't get picked, you don't win, you don't, you know, perform your best and you feel just like you're worthless. Um, I think the most important thing to take from this is that the whole point of athletics is, is, it's, a, it's an arena to test yourself in. It's, it's a forge. It's a place where you build yourself. That's, that's in my opinion. And, and you go out and you physically, mentally, and emotionally you confront challenges that, you know, unfortunately not, not everyone can confront in their, you know, nine to five desk job. So it's a really special place where you, where you get to, you know, learn and grow. And I think sometimes we fall short of that. We, we think we have to achieve, uh, you know, on the field as opposed to just become a better version of ourselves. As cliche as that sounds, um, so talking to a young kid, you know, maybe you want to become a professional footballer, uh, you know, soccer player in the UK, um, but you don't get picked for the academy side. Like that doesn't mean all those hours of training and of practicing your ball handling skills and of, of working on your fitness have gone to waste. In fact, that's all, all made you a much more well-rounded, healthier individual who's going to be ready for whatever next opportunity comes. Um, so I think the main thing is just keep some perspective and, and don't attach yourself too much to the goals. Easier said than done. Um, if I think, 
on the positive side is, is look at it as a chance to advance yourself overall as a man or as a woman, as a person, um, and, and move towards being a more well, well-rounded, um, contributing member of society as opposed to, um, an individual who's collecting accolades. I think that's where you get caught up and, and kind of dragged down into a trap is if it's about me, 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 and what my name is and how many medals I have. Um, it's going to hurt when you fall. But I think if, you, if you're more concerned about where you're going as a person, I think that'll put things in perspective. Yeah. I've often wondered this because you guys are, are absolutely immaculate when it comes to mental fitness because you're going towards that physical and, and really integrating. I suppose you try and work that 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 mentality if you're going through emotions the same as you would like going to hit in a wall and things like that when do you as a professional athlete enjoy the game most is it when you've learned to surrender and enjoy the passion for why you got into it or you're trying to control the emotions do you notice that you have a shit game yeah i'd say oddly enough it's when i it's when i've done the work before so one part of athletics is in People might not think of this, but it's, it's delayed gratification. It's, it's putting the hard work in before, um, in the gym, on the field, whatever it is. But whenever I, I, you know, I've done the film scouting, I've done the the proper gym, I've done the skills training, done the fitness, um, and I know I'm prepared. Then I can just go out in the field and I can just be free in the moment. Um, and actually, the past few games I played, I've, I've kind of had that rekindling of my joy for the game because I've had those moments of just being being pulled into it. Um, and just kind of losing my sense of self, excuse me, and just enjoying the flow of the game. So, yeah, I, I think to answer your question, I'm at my worst when I'm, when I'm trying to think things through and consciously trying to control things. That's you yeah. know, too rigid. I'm at my best when I'm just prepared during the week. I've done all my hard work. I know whatever happens, I've, I've, I've put the gas in the tank. I'm just going to go. Yeah. Do you think, last couple of questions, mate, but do you think this, um, as we both know, um, Sam is very openly spoken about it. He had to take some time when he knew he was losing a bit of his passion and go back home and find himself again. You just mentioned it there. Do you know as a professional athlete, for again, those aspiring athletes, that if you are feeling a sense that you are losing the joy for it of why you got into it, then you know yourself deep down, your gut's telling you, I need to pull back on this for a while? Yeah, I think it might not always be leaving the sport entirely, but I think there's so much else in life that you can focus on. That you can put your effort in. It could be your relationship with your family. It could be playing an instrument. It could be working a job on the side. It could be learning a new skill. It could be whatever it is. But um, yeah, I think Sean's a great example of that. He transitioned from football to rugby and, you know, he's had massive shift in, in his athletic identity, but he's done a great job of, of really staying true to who who he is and for him i think a lot of that's based around his family um so he went back and spent a lot of time with him um but yeah if you're in the same boat if you're an athlete it doesn't necessarily mean you have to you know drop everything you're doing and and just kind of you know go into a retreat mode it's it's kind of get back in touch with who you you feel like you are and, and what drives you in life and um that could be family that could be friends that could be you know art or music whatever it is but just try and find that balance, I think, and, and get back in touch with that if you feel burnt out. Yeah. So with that being said there, I always talk about removing of the profession. Who's Nicholas Boyer other than his profession? <laughs> Still figuring that out, Glenn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go, uh, yeah. um, what do you like doing outside of, 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 of professional, your sport? 
Yeah, I like a lot of things actually. So that's that's one thing I realized is I love trying new things. I love adventure. I love challenges. Um, Sam and I got into surfing together, so that's been something that I've really enjoyed the past four years or so. Used to be terrified of sharks, so you think, why would you go in the ocean? But as it turns out, taking a head on is the best way to go. So um, love my the first day in, my first day in Australia, I went on Bondi Beach and the shark alarm went off. That was the end of my surfing career. I was oh like, my god! Yeah, that scared the crap out of me. I was like, oh, this is actually real. And there was like, yeah, yeah nah. I keep yeah. my, my water on, on the land. Yeah, smart. That's smart. But you're down like in the monster soup as well. Australia's got like stuff on land, stuff in the water, got crocs <laughs> in both areas. Everything can kill you in Australia, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. fair. Um, love to surf, love music, guitar and piano. Not very good, but love to just play a song, try and sing along. Um, coffee, catching up with, you know, with teammates and friends, chess, reading books, all that. So very eclectic tastes, but, um, it's been really helpful to have two or three or four different things I can do while, while playing rugby to kind of round out my day. So what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Oh, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the, oh, you, oh, you're one of those people, are you? Like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean one of those people? I can't, I can't <laughs> sit there and watch those things. Those trilogies are way too... It's like Star Trek and Star Wars and every. I apologize to anyone listening to this podcast, but there'll be so many Trekkies and the Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, I just can't sit there for that long and watch film. But you'll watch, you watch Shaun of the Dead, but you won't watch Lord of the Rings. You know what? I've never seen Shaun of the Dead. I just know that because everyone says you look like Simon Pegg. So I had to look who he was at first. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. One question I ask everybody, mate, that, uh, that comes on out of everything you've been through. What does being imperfectly perfect mean to you? Oof, that's a good question. It's a, almost as good as the one yeah, you had previously about the, the athletes identifying with their sport. Um, I think imperfectly perfect is kind of what I touched on earlier about what, still striving to be the best you can be, but being okay with who you are, I guess, if that makes sense. Yep. It's about being, being comfortable in your skin in the moment, but also still having that drive for something better. I think being pushed forward and pulled forward by, by your values, but also being able to stop and just sit down and say, you know, this is a beautiful day. Look at that sunshine coming through the trees and just enjoy the moment for what it is. Um, so a bit of balance, I guess. Nice, nice. And then I just want to ask, I ask everybody this one as well. What what legacy do you want to leave? What do you want to be remembered for? I think one thing I want people to say when they look back is that I gave everything um, in my career, in my life. I'm always aiming for the best I can do. Um, you know, God willing, I have kids one day. I want them to look at me and say, you know, damn, my dad was a badass. You know, he, he worked his butt off. He wasn't naturally great at rugby, but um, he worked, he worked and he worked and he got there, um, you know, and he, he did some really cool things with it. And then I want people that I come to touch with to also be, um, feel like I've left a positive mark on their day. So really bringing good energy. Um, that's one thing I realized is how infectious it can be. You know, I, I've been in environments where it's pretty bleak and pretty down and that, that weighs on you, but I've also seen how much one person can just ignite a spark. And so I think I want people to say that I was, you know, courageous with my effort and, and with my positivity daily. Well, mate, you've, uh, you'll ignite a spark with this. You'll ignite a spark by sharing your story. Cause that's the whole thing about the IPC one story and how it impacts somebody else is just amazing, mate. So, I just want to say, like I say, it's been three years and got in touch with you. And I was like, 
I need you on the show. I want you on the show. And you was like, yep, I'm there. So I appreciate it, mate. On behalf of the campaign, on, on myself, mate, thank you for everything you do for not only your sport, but inspiring those young kids. And I'm sure your kids will look up to you and think that when the time is right that you're a badass, especially looking like Thor, mate. Like, <laughs> you just need to get that hammer out next time when your kids are there. Um, but yeah, where can people keep in touch with you and follow your progress and your journey? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so Instagram is probably the only social media I'm on. Uh, it's just my first name, Nicholas, my last name, uh, Boyer, with an underscore in between. So Nicholas underscore Boyer. Um, but yeah, just tune in to Houston Sabercats, Winter League Rugby, and, and watch us go. That's the best place to see me. Cool. You guys have so much time just on, on the field. That it's funny when I say, where can people find you? And every sports person say, yep, Instagram. And then you speak to some people and they're like, you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, this, this. <laughs> and I'm like, all the sports players are just like, yeah, let's keep it simple. I'm on Instagram. Follow me there. <laughs> yeah, that's about the limit of my cognitive capacity Instagram. You know, I got so many brain cells, but... <laughs> exactly well guys i'm gonna put all the links up to where you can keep in touch and follow um, nicholas's journey so until next time guys keep on having the hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that save lives to find out more about the imperfectly perfect campaign and how you can get involved simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.